All right. Hello and welcome to Think Fit, Be Fit podcast. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I'm the hostess and creator of this podcast where we are dedicated to effective thinking for potent exercise. I have a very fun episode today and it's um, something I put together uh, based on downloads and popularity. So we are talking about the best episodes of 2020, the six best episodes. And I felt like we could do a best of because 2020 has like, it definitely feels like two years have passed since <laughs> January 1st. <laughs> um, Easily. Yeah. And I um, didn't want to do this alone because like I feel very excited and I kind of want to party and celebrate these episodes. So I invited my colleague, Gregory Gordon, to join the fun. Um, his, uh, You might have met him on two episodes that we did in April. One of them is the highlighted one of the highlights of today. And um, please introduce yourself, reintroduce yourself. Okay. Well, first, before I even introduce myself, let me say sincerely, and I don't mean this in a cliche or trite way whatsoever. It really, I am honored that um, to be part of a best of episode, um, because, you know, the, the subject matter we tackled, sort of motor learning and control principles, um, while I think a lot of people find them interesting, as I learned firsthand by listening to it afterwards, it's, it covers so much ground. It can go off on these tangents and things like that, um, which, you know, if you have no experience to this stuff, it can, I can imagine, you know, as much as I'm interested in like quantum physics, I know nothing about it. And if I was listening to someone to describe it and they're going off in like 50 different tangents, it would have been really challenging for me. So <laughs> that's a really long way of me saying thank you again for having me on. And I'm really thrilled to hear that you know, that people found it engaging. So well, uh, I think it was funny because um, several comments I got were like, I downloaded it so I could listen to it a second time. <laughs> and that's cool. Because I, I, I get it. Um, anyways, please in introduce yourself. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, my name is Gregory Gordon. I'm the owner of Exercise Intelligence, a clinic in New York City where I do personal training and uh, muscle activation techniques and other neuromuscular specializations. Um, and if you would like to contact me, you can get me through my email, Gregory at exercise and a dash intelligence with the CE at the end.com. So um, yeah. Well, you're here because you know, like the exercise in the traditional sense is um, such a mystery. Uh, you know, because on one side of the chit chat and uh, podcast and and what we learn about exercise, even in school and through our trainers, is just like so generic. And then you're here because you're ele you're helping me elevate the conversation, right? To all the um, and you know something I got from you, the gray areas, like all the little speckles of uh, gray that make up a huge continuum of variables of physiology and all the input. So, you know, Absolutely. that's why you're here. So we're, you know, we're trying to um, elevate the conversation about exercise. So. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm really curious to hear some of these clips. I hope I'm not 
Okay. I, hope I just do a spoiler alert or something, but no, <laughs> um, because you know, there's definitely like, uh, you know, thoughts change and thoughts evolve over time. And I'm curious to hear if there's even some things I said a few months ago that when I hear it back now, I'm going to be like, Oh, well, okay. I didn't represent that well, or maybe I've changed my mind on something. So, yeah. And by the way, I think that's a really, uh, and maybe we'll, we have a special announcement for some of the people that are listening <laughs> relatively soon on some other <laughs> content, but I, I think it's really critical to sort of, and it's one of the things I've commented to you directly. And one mm-hmm. of the things I admire so much about your podcast and specifically your uh, abilities as a host is that you peel back the curtain and you're not afraid to expose your thoughts when you, you feel like you don't understand something or you've changed your mind on something or, and I think that is so critical, man, to learning anything. I mean, we're in the space of like, you know, human movement science, but um, it's something that I aspire to do myself. And I just think it is so critical to pull back the curtain and just acknowledge if, you know, you've changed your mind on something or, you know, you feel like you didn't say something as well as you could have, because Mm -hmm. this is human movement science, as we spoke about in the first podcast, and mm-hmm. like you just mentioned, it is, you know, there's, if you're looking for black and white proof, this probably isn't for you. This <laughs> is a very, very gray field. The thoughts are always, we're always getting new studies and some sort of evidence and support, but there's, there's very little binary, hard, factual truth to this stuff. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and, yeah. And I, you know, through the last three months, I've honestly, had to remove layers of binary thinking, even from my own thought process. And I know that, like what you just said, like cognizantly, I understand that. And I still get sucked into um, this black or white thinking that it's just, it's just so easy to believe. And it's just, you have to really go out of your way to to think in this industry. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I do too, by the way. So, um, yeah. and I, I think most people, most people do. And so I think this is the perfect way to introduce, introduce the first clip. So All right. this is, um, a really fun subject for me and it is the episode from April 15th with Jen De Lorenzo, who is a physical therapist specializing in pain science. And so when we talk about paradigm shifts, holy crap, like this is definitely one of them. And, um, you know, the funny thing is it's a wonderful, you know, uh, connection for me. She's, you know, she works in my practice in Alexandria, Virginia, and I feel very lucky to have a colleague that I respect so much in, in my, you know, my team. And she has a ton of letters after her name. (laughs) <laughs> so I felt like that this uniqueness, that's the clip. <laughs> <laughs> so here you go. Can you hear that? Do that yep. um, I wanted to ask. It's a little low, Jen. Okay. Continuing education outside of this stuff. Cause you do even more. Than, that's better. I mean, any PT that I know as far as continuing it. So I've heard you talk about vitamin D and sleep and, can you give me a, like a little list of the, like the last two years of stuff? I spent probably about 10 or 15 years really diving deep into the Institute of Physical Art, which is functional manual therapy. Mm-hmm. And so that is a 
that is a really soup to nuts approach to assessment and posture and body mechanics and manual therapy and neuromuscular reeducation. So it's, it is a fabulous, fabulous program that I use to this day, and I'm still very in touch with that group. Um, in addition to that, uh, I think it was in 2014, I got my first coaching certification through Catalyst Coaching. And from there with the same group, I got a master's in coaching. And then in 2017, um, there was the very first national board certification for health and wellness coaching. So I'm pretty excited that I was in that group. So it just blends so nicely. The um, manual work blends beautifully with the pain science work and we can accomplish all of it better with the coaching background um, and within pain science uh, sleep is a very big part it's one of our four main pillars the other three pillars are goals education and exercise and so I have really become obsessed with sleep and there's so much we for can good do reason, yeah. for good reason yes um, and I would have to say I don't know this guy at all but Matthew Walker's book sure, why yeah. we sleep is fabulous and the other person and I have learned most of my sleep stuff from is Dr. Sasha Gominak and sleep is huge. Mm -hmm. So sleep is a big piece. Okay. So I, I decided to do that as the clip because, you know, she's unique and I really think that the episode highlights that and we get a whole updated version of pain and we talk about experience. We talk about alarm system. Um, and a lot of analogies. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, after this uh, was recorded, she has done some work with pain science and middle schoolers. Mm. So um, I can pull that up real quick. And she, um, yeah, anyway, so I have a lot of respect for her. And the funny thing about this, as I started this, is, you know, the relationship that I've built with her is kind of because of you, Gregory, because you formally introduced me to pain science years ago. And like, because I could like talk about it in somewhat of an informed way, her and I have this wonderful relationship that like kicked the whole thing off. That's awesome. So <laughs> I think, yeah, I, cause I remember you mentioning her to me and I think mm -hmm. the, the shared link that we have is that we're both big fans of the work done by the Neuroorthopedic Institute, David Butler and Norma Mosley. And that's, um, besides what I learned in grad school, the, the sort of continuing edu education courses I've done for pain science have been through the NOI group. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I've learned so much and I, their approach is just, uh, it is so inclusive as mm -hmm. opposed to being so exclusive about mm -hmm. like, because if you're interested in pain science from either just, uh, you know, a layman, you know, you're just a, a casual consumer interested in, in health and, you know, maybe you've had some pain and you're, you know, you're a bit more curious than just like what you can get off a Google search or like their parent had pain. Yeah. They're like, like looking it up. I mean, we all know someone with chronic pain. Yeah. But anyone from just like, uh, someone with a casual interest to someone like us that, you know, have been an exercise or health professional for a long time. A lot of times they're 
certain coursework there, there's a bunch of barriers to entry if you don't have certain letters after your name and blah, blah, blah. And the NOI group is actually really inclusive. So if you go to a typical NOI group course, you know, it is a lot of physical therapists and occupational therapists, but Mm -hmm. there's also people that do other types of manual therapy, like you or I, or nutritionists or massage therapists or Pilates. They're really inclusive. And, you know, all of those different perspectives add to the, to the, common goal of just having a better understanding of all the stuff and opening up new and interesting conversations. So uh, I love that type of work and someone that's interested in that type of work certainly sounds like, um, I'm sorry, what's her name again? Jen. Jen. (laughs) Lorenzo. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So it's that Jen sounds like the type of person that you meet in these type of classes, someone that's really interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so her, uh, this research paper, um, it's the second one that they did and Adrian Lowe's on the paper with her. So this is like a huge name in pain science and that we actually go into the history of it a little bit. We, it's, we, I'm saying we, she did a lot of talking. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I always catch myself saying that, but it is my conversation. Yeah, so sure. I guess it's my, it's a we, um, so the um the so it's a follow-up paper. So they taught middle schoolers PNE, which is pain neuroscience education. And uh they um wanted to look at opioid use in their like uh, like as an upstream with with the with the idea in mind that doing upstream effect work and educating middle schoolers would impact them positively. Oh, okay. So not that middle schoolers were already using opioids. Just no, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was alarming. Okay. I know. I know. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Every time I learn something new about pain science, I'm alarmed at what the hell is going on out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, So, you know, and and like their idea is like impacting opioid use way down the line. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, they're um, they're measuring basically um, the efficacy of a PNE whole curriculum for Mm -hmm. middle schoolers. So the PNE boosted group relative to usual care used 30 percent less pain meds to the, uh, the rest of the years that they were surveillanced and wow. the kids with pain at the initial start who got PNE, um, missed significantly fewer days of school and sports participation. Do you have any idea how long they tracked them for? Um, it's coming up in my mind as six, six years, ma- no, six months. Yeah, it's only six months after the initial oh, yeah. intervention, school, huh. physical age. I don't know how long the fo- when the follow-up study was done because the original study was 668 seventh graders followed by two sessions of P&E education and it's a, I mean, yeah, it doesn't, I can't, the, the, it's too tiny. I'll have to do a follow-up comment on that. Um, I'm like, I can't read it. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, um, being that it's a follow-up study, I'm just giving it the benefit of the doubt that it's been at least a year. Like, I, I don't know. Um, so, okay. 
That's the first one on the list. All right. The second one, let's see here. Um, hmm, I'm going to do it. It's a, it's a more recent one with um, a colleague, Ben Dragovan. Mm-hmm. He is in Bellevue, Washington. I met him through taking, um, through mutual friends, through muscle activation techniques. We had taken RTS courses together and um, some of Jacques' courses together. Mm-hmm. So even though we're on opposite coasts, me and this, me and Ben have stayed close and been taking classes together for about 10 years. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, We've, I don't, I've just learned, I I just love talking to him. Um, And I think that we've been talking about doing a podcast for years and it, it, it was really hard to get on the books, but we got it obviously. And, you know, he's, um, he discusses really like a client based approach and, and, and progress in like the highest level of athletics. And he uses that um, in soccer and uh, baseball players. Um, and he, the, the, the fun thing about it is, you know, he's using the same principles across the board, mm-hmm. even though we're talking about like baseball players, um, especially pitchers who are, you know, mechanists, you know, like, and, um, and goalies who are so, such a different beast. You know, the, 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 we talked about that a little bit. We talked about the mentality of goalkeeping. We talked about, um, geez, we talked about hope solo. We talked about youth soccer. Um, we're both, we're both, uh, pretty involved in youth soccer. His resume looks like someone who has been coaching for 20 years and he's, mm-hmm. he's my age, you know, he's like 37. Mm-hmm. And so, cause we're talking about the U S youth national team he was Hope Solo's uh, muscle activation, you know, uh, specialist, trainer, and goalkeeping coach. Wow. He was bringing his uh, treatment table on the field of these, like, U.S. soccer training camps Mm -hmm. and doing his mechanics-based training and table work on the field with literally some of the best uh, athletes in soccer, including Megan Rapinoe. Who's oh, like, cool. Yeah, I know who yeah. she is. Um, okay, so here it is. Go up. Uh, well. Oh, I like a shirt. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little shout out to, to Jacques on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's become my, my workout shirt. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to get the book. Uh, that's, that's interesting because it, it's, you know, how well an athlete controls their center of mass or if their center of mass is actually controlling what they do can make or break a lot of things you know is there a quality of their first movement meaning their first internal shift into a direction that they want to go is it is it optimal or is it taking them in a direction that's going to require some sort of uh, repair job um how do you assess that well without all sorts of super high-speed cameras and all that kind of stuff you kind of have to go off the sensation and see um, did that first movement make that next thing just really, really easy for you? Did it take you to where you wanted to go without any thought process and your body just kind of fell into it and it's effortless. So, um, we can do that with camera work. We do it in a gym. Um, 
kind of analyzing things in slow motion, you know, where it gets really, really interesting. Okay. You have the mechanics of it all is okay. What do they have access to in their muscular system to create these forces to do the first thing anyway? So, um, what, what, what joint positions is their brain talking to it the way we want it to, you know, and, and one of my more successful stories with that was with hope solo leading up to the 2015 world cup where we would be in a scenario on the training field where she would move from the right side of the goal, to the left side of the goal. And if I. Oh, that's well, it. You got it. You got to listen to get the rest of that story. <laughs> All right. I'm intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> so that opens up a whole huge conversation. I feel like. And yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> it's uh, I love it. So, um, Dr. Paul Juris, who has been a guest on your podcast, mm-hmm. uh, as he, as you did his intro, he mentioned that he was the former chief science officer at Cybex, and I worked for him for a period of time. And together, we created a class called On Balance, and it was a class all about understanding balance, sort of the all the sensory system components, the motor system components, and then, you know, how to train for balance. Um, And so we spent a lot of time actually talking about that stuff in class, exactly what he's talking about in Mm. terms of manipulating your base of support relative to your center of mass. So um, a quick example I would use is that, so, and what's, what's really fascinating. Oh, sorry. I was getting the next clip ready. Oh, no problem. Uh, um, Exact. So like really high level performers, they, you know, through practice um, and, you know, probably uh, just, you know, maybe having a a better, uh, a more conditioned muscular system, things like that. But a performer meaning like a dancer? No, just someone doing the task. A perform is just sort of like a a generic term for someone doing this task. But, um, you know, if if you're trying to create more stability, you want a really wide base of support. So if I'm a basketball player and I'm going for a rebound and I come down and I have the ball, so now I want a really wide base of support because other guys may be like elbowing me, knocking me into to try to like jar the ball loose. But if I'm a, a basketball player and I come down with the rebound and I've got the ball in my hand and I've got this wide base of support, if it's a fast break and then I need to start like pushing that ball up the court really quick, the wider my stances, I lose like precious milliseconds because if I'm really trying to get fat, if I'm really trying to move quickly, what I need is a narrow base of support. So, and when I mean base of support, I'm talking about my two feet on the ground. So if my two feet are out really wide, my center of mass, it can go a long distance side to side before I would ever get knocked over my base of support. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. If my feet are really close together. I've got a much, I've got much less uh, latitude on each side before I would trip over my base of support, but if yeah. I'm trying to move quickly, I want a really narrow base of support. And so when you watch these people figure all of this stuff out in real time, they know how to manipulate their base of support in a way to where it's advantageous to either stabilization or movement. And so, uh, and you, you know, you can train that stuff in the gym too, to, to learn how to, um, exploit all that. So, yeah. So yeah, he goes right into it. It's yeah, it's, um, and it's not something that it is 
easy to identify and manipulate if you're solely focused on, um, I don't know, like, like, again, like over cueing the body, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, uh, in sports, I'm thinking of goalkeepers. Um, when you were going over that basketball, uh, scenario of coming down from a rebound, I thought mm-hmm. another good visual for that context would actually be a goalkeeper and a penalty. Kick. Um, so a penalty, yeah. When you land, so if, or talking if, about the base of support and being wide or narrow and the quickness. Well, so pardon my complete, almost complete ignorance on soccer and goalie kicks, but I do know a little bit. So this is what I see, at least when I pull it up, pull it up in my mind. So mm-hmm. when the goalie is trying to read mm-hmm. like the kicker, they're usually in that quote unquote, like athletic stance, right? Like mm-hmm. knees are bent. They're kind of like hips are flexed They're And they're, they're, their base of support is probably something like hip width. Like they're not like extremely, their legs aren't extremely far apart and they're not super narrow either. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure if we looked at it in real time, so the the person, the the goalkeeper is just looking intently at trying to read some of the body language of the kicker. Yeah, they're narrow usually. Oh, they are, okay. They're very like this. So that actually makes a lot more sense. Uh What I was going to, because funny, Dr. Juris and I just this week were looking at and by the way, I recommend this. If anyone's interested in this topic, here's a really cool thing to look at. Just go on ESPN and find, go to ESPN.com, go in the search button and type in something like batter's stances or something. So ESPN did this really cool thing where they took, they just showed you the silhouette of 10 different baseball players. And it's from like the last 20 years. And I'm not a huge baseball fan, but you see like some guys when I would love I would love this. Like, well, the I, really I cool thing baseball. about it is that it, the, the punchline is that we're going to talk about function at some point. But you'll see, so let's just say I, I know again I'm going off on 10 minutes. <laughs> but so the the I'm going to tie this together. So the baseball stance, there's two phases to the baseball stance. There's the phase where you're just getting in the box. You're staring at the pitcher before he throws the pitch. And so some of these guys, they're almost doing what's called like a sumo squat, meaning your legs are so far apart. They're almost like doing a split. And so that's a little bit on you, but like there's at least one guy that's like really hunched down. And then the second phase is that as soon as the pitcher throws the ball, you lift up your leg and then you you eventually plant it and you, you initiate the swing, but there's two phases. Um, and so for a soccer goalie, I could sort of imagine there's also the two phases where there's just the preparatory phase where you're just watching the kicker sort of trying to read his body language. But yeah, I would, it's smart to me that they would already stand pretty narrow, mm-hmm. but even if they didn't, cause I'm a, I bet if we looked at like a hundred goalies, we might see some variation in the, the setup phase and the preparation mm-hmm. phase. But as soon as that ball is getting close to being kicked, I guarantee their stance is very narrow Mm -hmm. because in milliseconds, they have to decide which side to lean to. And if they had a wide base of support, you'd never get there. Mm -hmm. So their base of support has to be as small as they can make it, basically. As soon as they, you know, with all the cues they're getting, they they pick a a side to move towards. Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, the and the thing like, in the training world, again, they don't, uh, a lot of people would coach that from that 10,000 hour rule mentality of 
how many perfect reps they get of, you know, moving off the line. If, right. if we're talking about goalkeepers, right. Or if, um, and so they would train that by like making them do an agility ladder and stand and wait. And like the queuing, I mean, you know, the point is like, Ben really talks about not wasting anybody's time. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like, and we don't talk about the counter, the argument of that really, but he's just telling us from this, I've been practicing this for years and I've been rewarded for it because I coached at the U S national team, U 19 level. And, and all the, I mean, there's so many, like the list is, is pretty um, long on the who of his coaching. Mm -hmm. And so the fun part about this is for him and for me watching as his fan and his colleague Mm -hmm. that he's now kind of, he's definitely still working in goalkeeping, but he's now uh, working with major league baseball players on their fitness and defining their uh, programming um, with these like, you know, micro assessing types of details. So that's, I don't, it's just really fun. I think that's a, a really fun episode. Um, and okay. So we're moving on to the next one. All right. This one is, which one did I want to do next? Um, so did that one come through on my, no. Okay. So this one, ah, ugh, which one do I want to do? Okay. I'll do, I'll do, uh, Paul's first because okay. the two are related. There's there's three of them that these three are related. And I'm so glad that they were the most popular because I was so uh, in the zone. Right? Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. And I was so into it. And like, I feel really lucky to have had the conversations with Dr. Paul Juris. And um, I, because, you know, I really wanted to know more about learning from somebody mm-hmm. who knows a lot about learning and teaching. And um, because I saw his lectures that he gave um, eight years ago, and he's that's one of the main references of focal points of the episode, which is called Independent Thinking and the Core. Mm-hmm. And uh, the idea that... Um, God, there's so many things that this sparked for me. I, 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 I ha- like really did because I just wanted to know more about learning and his experience about with engaging trainers in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, in, on a way, in a level like that's essentially what I'm trying to do. Yeah, so you know, absolutely. sometimes these podcast uh, interviews are really all about me. And, <laughs> um, and, and why um, not? And why not? Um, so they. Um, So I just didn't know how much I was going to like reflect on my own practice and reflect Mm -hmm. on my own, uh, process. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just thought that was so cool. All right. Let me see if this is the right clip. Actually, it turns out it was eight years ago. I didn't realize it was so long ago, but it was in New York and it's on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And, um, I went back and looked at it and it was, I was kind of chuckling while I was looking at it because even in the face of a significant amount of data and evidence um, and very clear information and very clear findings and results, 
people in that audience were clinging so tightly to their belief system, what they've been told, and I'm not going to say what they've been taught, I'm going to say what they've been told, that they hang on to that so, so tightly, and they just refuse to reassess that and to challenge that thinking, Mm -hmm. that it becomes religion. And and really, to for a great many people that are working in the industry, it is a religion because it's a belief system. It's not necessarily evidence based, and even things that are evidence based. I mean, there's a lot of pseudoscience out there, mm-hmm. and pseudoscience is very dangerous mm-hmm. because pseudoscience is is not based on learning things. Pseudoscience is based on proving things. And when you set out to prove something, you do. And then you get complacent because you're so happy that you proved what you wanted to prove that you just accept it as fact. And the reality is you stop growing. You, you stop learning. You stop adapting. You stop evolving because you just proved what you wanted to prove. You're like, okay, it works. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird place that we're in and you know i don't know how it's going to change i've spent my entire career trying to change it you know here i am in my yeah um (laughs) i mean you know i was reminded that the changing of the industry you know it's 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 not something uh hello uh three people can do I think there's a lot of things um, that are changing in this world and, and, and society is changing. And I, you know, this conversation made me really excited to be a uh, provide a little lighthouse for uh, people who do want to think deeper about their practice. um, Maybe as some of my peers or as, as their own fitness journey, because some of my clients that are, uh, let's say woke <laughs> to, to fitness thinking, woke. Yeah. Fitness woke to thinking about their structure, their body, their needs, their tolerances versus following people who just love taking pictures of their body. <laughs> and, um, some of them could on, they're like better than some of the trainers that I know as far as thought process, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, so like, I try to target both of those people in this podcast anyways. mm -hmm. Um, What are your thoughts? Yeah. So uh, I think about it in sort of two ways. So first I totally agree with everything Dr. J uh, said right there. And with firsthand experience, I've, seen people I either know or, you know, kind of know, but like once you develop a product, I do believe then, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously you're trying to sell that product and yes, you will try to, um, to, to look at some sort of evidence that, that seems to support your product and you're, Mm -hmm. you might be, um, limiting evidence that would uh, or, you know, l- limiting other, other sorts of information that, that might be contrary to your goal. The other side of that coin, though, is that, look, any of us, even, again, from your a client that's just interested in their own body to someone that is 
like you or I, like well-invested in making a living in the fitness and wellness space. Like what I, I, th I think you have to, so evidence-based, the actual definition, and, and it's kind of one of those definitions like core that's sort of a little squishy, you know, but tip evidence-based is supposed to mean you use research, the, you know, the most up-to-date research combined with your clinical experience and then your intuition. And you take all that stuff and that's like what gives you this title evidence-based that you're, that you're taking advantage of all these things and you're, you're applying that in whatever, um, in whatever way you do that. So mm -hmm. as someone that's, so anyone, any one of us that are interested in our own bodies, we're all investigators mm. and we all have anecdotal experience and to not that it's contrary to, to PJ's point, but mm. I do believe that when you see trends, because the extreme opposite side would that to be, would be like, you know, I see these trends all the time, but you know, I'm not going to buy into it because I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, support my own evidence. Like, I, I do think it's mm -hmm. actually important that, like, as you see trends, you're aware of them. And in your mind, if you see things that happen all the time, you know, you pin them down, you take note of them. And then, you know, that is how research starts. Someone sees, like, this thing that seems to be happening all the time, then they have a hypothesis and then they hopefully do a study and it provides some more information. So um, I do think there is, I, I definitely agree with him that, you know, you can't just follow, you can't just go into proving something at the risk of excluding every, all other information that seems to be contrary to what you're trying to prove. On the other side, I think that actually, it is important to take your anecdotal experiences and be like, I don't know, I'm seeing something here. I'm not just going to let it slip away. I'm going to keep sort of looking at this thing until I get more evidence. And the, the, the key to me is just to be open enough, uh, which is really hard because I'm mm. experimenting with stuff all the time. And so, but the key is just to be open enough that like when you see something that like it doesn't work universally or maybe works in certain situations that you're okay with it. And frankly, um, it's why I've, I've personally never been really motivated in like producing like a book or so, like some sort of product because I feel like by the time it would come out, I'd change my mind on it. I wouldn't want to feel like I've got to constantly like support this thing that like I mm. may or may not be really believing in at, at the time I have to do it. So, hmm. yeah, no, that, um, yeah, that I think that does resonate with me as well. I, um, you know, I, I definitely fear complacency in almost every <laughs> aspect of my life. Um, so, well, let me just say, as a friend, you certainly, <laughs> I, and I know what you do behind the scenes here, and you're certainly doing everything you can not to do that. So, yeah, no, that is, um, I think. I don't know. That's always been one of my, uh, I think it's just a part of my personality too, um, is finding some boundary to push, you know, mm -hmm. and that can go terribly wrong. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I've found out that, that, um, uh, what is it? Reoccurring theme in my life 
has played out badly in other ways. But <laughs> I found a safe place for it, which is self-improvement, being my own guinea pig. Um, and, uh, you know, enjoying the motions of it and enjoying the, um, humble parts of it too. Uh, because being humbled outside of self-improvement where something could like, you know, um, metaphorically punch you in the face, Mm -hmm. I'd much rather that be on like the intellectual and knowledge level. So (laughs) I feel (laughs) this is good. This is, uh, (laughs) that's, that's me alchemizing. Um, I think it all, it has to do with whatever your expectations you set. So, you know, depending on, depending on the situation, you know, my expectations, um, you know, if I'm just approaching something like, I don't know, I just want to kind of see what happens, which typically is Mm. the best way to approach something. um, (laughs) Then I don't really lose sleep over the results as much. That's obviously Mm. much easier said being done, but just, I know for myself and for other people, like when the expectations are just at this level and, you know, truthfully, there's a good part to that too, because it really pushes you to like strive to achieve something. But um, that, feeling of um just always feeling dissatisfied yeah um i don't you know part of me thinks that i I do think there's benefit to it but also um just in in uh managing my own emotional health and in relationships it's you know it's um i i am also working towards actually recalibrating that and and trying to you know practice what i not that i'm preaching it practice what i listen to which Mm. is just trying to lower my expectations to actually be like okay look i'm just going to kind of see what happens and yeah i have an overconfidence in the universe that's my secret oh yeah i'm like the universe has my back (laughs) (laughs) and i'm just dancing through the streets like that's (laughs) That's my metaphor for this. Um, that might be the best approach to life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, you learn, um, uh, I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, that's um, the, the lady at the end of the bar energy. Like you got a martini in your hand. You're like, hey, guys, guess what? It doesn't matter. And you're like, wait, you know, <laughs> you're like waving at the end of the bar. Um, anyway. I sometimes feel about. That I sometimes feel like that about pizza, by the way. Like, it's yeah. like, you know, I, without going off into a, all of my woes. But look, the coronavirus has not been easy on me and my life in any way. It's been, it's been a real kick in the ass. But that like, uh, maybe a few days ago, I was having a slice of really good pizza. And I was like, you know, like, look, how bad are that? Like, I'm in, the, you know, I've got a place to live. I've got shelter. Yeah. I've got a really good slice of pizza. I've got a cold beer. Like you know, it really could be much worse. So yeah, yeah, there's, there's part of me and this is, I'm not religious whatsoever, but this is the closest thing I feel like religion could bring, which is just this sense of like, you know, even with all other things going South, just that like you can find like a little warmth and joy in just these little, a little thing like a slice of pizza and a cold mm-hmm. beer and, and it's enough to, uh, you know, to get you through to the next day. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, I preach those, 
those finding those things within the exercise process for sure. Like the, the little wins, especially for like the people that have experienced, um, uh, a real loss of movement, like a, like Mm. they lose a part of their identity, uh, from lack of movement. Like it happens Mm -hmm. to athletes if we get injured, right? Like that's a, I think a good example of people with chronic pain that can't roll out of bed as they please. Uh, that's that, that is such a loss and being able to, um, you know, find, find the ingredients that can help you and then celebrate, you know, that little mix of the, the ingredients at that, I mean, that to me was one of the reasons I started this podcast yeah, because 1,000%. I, I needed my clients to understand that. And I couldn't like shake them on the table. You know, I couldn't be like, you guys mm-hmm. have so much mm-hmm. great stuff going mm-hmm. on, you know, and this is such a cool time to like explore your body and love exercise, but my back hurts. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, 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 that's not what it's about, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, get with it. It's meta, you know, <laughs> like, um, and I was like, big picture, big picture, you know, and like nobody, it wasn't clicking. So that's where this, that's when this microphone was purchased when I was done, when I was done with that. Um, and it's, it's built a better relationship for me and my clients because back to the expectations don't have any, don't have any, you know, I just get, you don't have expectations of them or they don't have expectations of you, uh, of them. them. I, I give them, I give them what they're the, the process that I can engage in lawfully and ethically Mm -hmm. and, um, within my scope. And then as a side dish, they get podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. But see, Mm -hmm. I love that because, you know, in this and a lot of look in just any sort of sales process, but especially in our industry, because of the nature of if you're a trainer or therapist, you know, like, It's not like a used car where there's a single transaction, then like you may never see this person again. It's so based on these relationships where we see people consistently. And, you know, the idea of the, whatever your model is of a celebrity trainer or yoga, you know, like that guru, guruification Mm -hmm. of, you know, what we really are is just service providers of a specific Mm. thing. Um, people glom onto that because, you know, we need repeat business for our Mm -hmm. business in order to make a living. And so what I love about what you're doing is that you're not doing any of that. You're doing what you do Mm -hmm. and then you're providing them this other resource. And like that allows you not to have to be this guru that knows everything. And is that freeing? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And because... And because of that whole theme, I think I'm going to get even more freedom out of it. Absolutely. Like, and it's yeah. just like, great. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, there's this, you, you can subscribe to this <laughs> abundance theory of like, if, if you no longer see the same client for 10 years, because now they feel like you've actually helped them take mm-hmm. some self agency. So I think there's a group of people that are like, oh my God, I can't, I'm losing this client. I've got to like figure out some way to like point out this other little tiny thing they have to keep coming back into. But I think the alternative view is that you teach someone how to like self-agency and how to take care of themselves. And, you know, obviously keep the relationship. Um, you still communicate with them, but they'll only refer you more people. It'll only help your yep. business in the oh, long yeah. run, which is yeah. my opinion. Yeah. As opposed um, to like trying to find these little 
things that like you're gonna like scare them about so they keep coming. what about your index finger yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are never going to open letters like as fast <laughs> as you can if you cannot get three more degrees of flexion out of your index yeah and um, look we know that um like people in this in this world do that kind of stuff because they <laughs> They're concerned that like one client that goes out the door, they're, you know, that's money out of their pocket as opposed to just doing what they do, doing the best they can, giving people resources, and then, you know, just hopefully really helping someone take self-agency for themselves. Yeah. Just to close up that, uh, circuitous, (laughs) um, highlight, uh, the, the point is, Dr. J really gets us talking. He gets me thinking and he gets me alchemizing and ma and all the ingredients. And like, that's what that episode's for. Yeah. And, and also, you know, you use the word like, you know, the core as a word, as a term is smushy. Squishy. squishy. Uh Like evidence-based. Um, yeah, that I think, man, you just uh, gave me a softball for some <laughs> good material there. That is, awesome. yeah. So this one, um, okay, so that is a, so that this episode and this next highlight are kind of contrasting. Okay. Which is very cool, right? Cool. Um, so. How the psoas and the diaphragm relate to each other. Mm. So if you don't go out and get extra training on this, mm-hmm. you don't know. And that's why I'm sure you have people walking into your office and I all the time. Well, I went to physical therapy and I'm doing all my core exercises, mm-hmm. but my back still hurts. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, there's all this thought that, oh, maybe you don't even need core exercises for back pain and that sort of thing. But that's why. I, I truly believe the diaphragm, the core of the core is the diaphragm. And if you miss the diaphragm piece, if you're not training the diaphragm with the rest of the core muscles, you're not going to get better. All right. So the context of this, I had trouble with this episode personally. This is one of those because I don't believe one muscle is more important than the other. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I invited on a physical therapist that focuses on a couple muscles. And also because there is something important to say about breathing and muscle function and movement health and your exercise. Um, They're obviously interconnected. um, And I, you know, I've, I know from, referring clients to physical therapists like Noelle. And as such, Noelle, she's, she's, uh, in my network of referrals. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but her certification doesn't necessarily align with my beliefs Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, whatever, that's fine. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's one of those situations where we end up with like similar clients and patients. Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely of my interest to get to know what the heck she's talking about. So that's why I invited her on. She has mm-hmm. a ton of energy for this subject, mm-hmm. which is um, something we kind of take advantage of, which is our breathing, our posture, uh, like the relationship of breathing and posture um, and the the health of our diaphragm and the pelvic floor. So she is a pelvic floor specialist 
and a PRI certified physical therapist, which is Postural or Restoration Institute. Mm. And personally, um, I've got my, I've definitely got my things that I disagree with, with um, the stuff that they say. But again, it's not meant for someone like me. They're they're classes. They're meant for physical therapists. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, obviously I'm undecided about the whole entire thing. And I really wanted to learn more about the core, the the core, the Mm -hmm. diaphragm. So we called it the core of the core. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, and she's, she's just got a ton of energy and, you know, I love that. So (laughs) she's got to, you know, we got to have a a party about anatomy. Can you hear that? Yeah. And I'm doing all my core exercises, Mm -hmm. but my back still hurts. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, there's all this thought that, oh, maybe you don't even need core exercises for back pain and that sort of thing. But that's why I, I truly believe the diaphragm, the core of the core is the diaphragm. And if you miss the diaphragm piece, if you're not training the diaphragm with the rest of the core muscles, you're not going to get better. Mm. And that's 110% why you're here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is super valuable information. Uh, so this is a great time to to pivot a little bit. Um, so what blew my mind with our conversations about this is suboptimal breathing. And then I think it would be a great segue into the exercises that can be used. Uh, We can talk through what we did together. And Okay. And then right before that clip, she was saying, and this is the one of the reasons I actually, I do send this episode to my clients. is that in physical therapy school and she's, you know, she's like 27. So this this wasn't that long ago. Okay. Um, In physical therapy school, they don't talk about this part of the anatomy and it's relation Mm. to uh, back pain specifically. Um, And the PRI group has some um, of their own sponsored research on the pressure gradients of that area of the body and, uh, back pain. Um, Mm -hmm. they, so I just, you know, I just thought, man, if I have a client that is still looking for answers and they're willing to do some breathing exercises, which is what we were kind of segueing into, because she took me through some sessions of breathing Mm -hmm. exercises Mm -hmm. and, uh, they were interesting. Um, and I don't, I, um, and there's a whole, like we recorded it. It's like a 20 minute video. You guys can watch me get coached by a physical therapist on how mm. to breathe. And it's, That's cool. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And you know, that was it, but I still, you know, I had trouble with that episode because I was presenting so much information and conflicting information and was dealing with conflict within myself by saying, okay, how valuable is the diaphragm to the my belief of no muscle is more important than the other? Oh, so yeah. someone decided. Well, so the first thing I think is that, and now that I'm getting a little bit more familiar with podcasts and being on them and 
and hosting them. And so like, let's just say a year ago when I'd listen to a podcast and I would hear someone talk and I'd be like, God, why isn't this guy like jumping on this guy, like calling him out on this or that? And, and so look, what you learn is that when you're hosting a podcast, um, you're not necessarily hosting a debate, like you're hosting a conversation. And part of your role as the host is to be a host, to make mm-hmm. someone feel comfortable. So I give you a lot of kudos for, because it would be easier if you just had people on your podcast that aligned a hundred percent with your point of view. And oh, by the way, like maybe, you know, like there was some reciprocal business that you'd come your way yeah. because you guys are, but that I think, again, what's why I give you just so much credit. So it's tough to have these conversations, even if you're alone in an office, much less on a podcast where, you know, you don't want to be disingenuous, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you're, you, the, you're inviting this person as a guest and just, just like what that would mean out of a podcast. They're your guest. You need to make them feel comfortable. You want to allow them to have their point of view. Mm-hmm. And while maintaining, you know, uh, you know what you think um, your views on it without, you know, making it into something that would just be an unpleasant experience for you, mm-hmm. the guest and the listeners. So that's part one. The part two, yeah, I would agree with you. I don't, you know, and again, when I'm you say something on tape and then someone's like, <laughs> Oh God, like, so look, she, her statement was you're never going to get better if you don't get the diaphragm to work with these other muscles. And so, I would disagree with that. I don't, the, the reason I would disagree with that is I look at the human body from this biopsychosocial approach that there's mm-hmm. biological factors, there's psychological factors, and there's social factors. So biologically, yeah, I, I, I agree with her. Like you, ideally you would have all these muscles functioning together and optimally, but the, the point that someone is never going to get better, I think you're really cutting out the psychological and social factors. So Mm -hmm. like you could have the most dysfunctional diaphragm and levator ani and coccygeus and which is the bottom of the pelvic floor, the diaphragm is the top of the pelvic floor. You could have the most dysfunctional, barely alive muscles like that, but you're whatever, you just met someone in a new relationship and you're just having a great time and you're connecting with this person. I guarantee your pelvic floor issues are unless, (laughs) you know, you're, you're, on like a respirator or something like you're not going to pay attention to that stuff if you're having back pain because of these psychological and social factors and so like i don't think you are doomed to a lifetime of back pain if you've got in whatever way you're even assessing it but if you've Mm -hmm. got some degree of dysfunctional diaphragm muscles and the way they communicate and the, the way they synergize with the other abdominal core muscles lower pelvic floor muscles uh i wouldn't agree with that but mm-hmm. again, from a certain perspective, I get what she's saying. If I was just looking at the biological, the biomechanical, I would tend to agree with her. Yeah, like you, if these, if the things that need to move these rods aren't doing their job, then yeah, you mm. certainly have um, pain for a long period of time. But yeah. because I can't look at things in only this biological, biomechanical way that I would disagree with her on that. Yeah. Um, and they are very much, um, the PRI seems to be into structuralism theories Mm -hmm. of, um, full body health, you know, and like, I just, I, I, I just, um, published an episode on 629, 
and I took a little bit of Ben Dragovan's uh, off the um, record conversation about the FMS Mm -hmm. and turned it into my own reflections about learning and about what types of trainers and and, uh, self-authored experts there are out there. So, you know, I took a little juice from Tom Purvis's cup to to get that episode out, you know, Mm -hmm. because I feel really connected to telling people that there is such thing as unjust glorifications of exercise, you know, um, and overemphasizing, uh, certain structures and, um, and telling people that, you know, there's something wrong with their structure. Um, Mm -hmm. okay. Obviously this is, could really get into some, uh, thought experiments and questions (laughs) and, uh, philosophy. So we're moving on. All right. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, so now I've got one from January, all the way back in January. Can you actually? Golly. Yeah. You need to put, so, you know, in TV shows and sitcoms or stuff, <laughs> they go into a dream sequence and there's that music and like the screen gets hazy. Yeah. Yeah. I well, wish I we could do a dream we, sequence back to January. Uh, so, you know, pre, um, so with Jacqueline, this uh, functional nutritionist that I had on, um, I really love this guest. I just, she's a social media friend. Um, we've had a great time getting to know one another. You know, when I have her on the podcast and when I just talk to her in general, like I feel like I'm sitting at the table with my teammates. You know, mm-hmm. she's a female athlete and there's just a nostalgia and camaraderie that I have with female athletes, Mm -hmm. um, especially those who see the big picture of leadership like she does, uh, being a female athlete and a coach of them and a, Mm -hmm. you know, representative, whatever of, um, what sports can do for the, you know, the female, um, as a whole, um, and the, the generation of females. Um, so obviously like, she's welcome anytime because this girl is the real deal when it comes to functional nutrition. Um, you know, she has the degrees, she has the, the right letters behind her name, which in, in nutrition, I think is a, an issue with licensing and, um, you know, who gets respect out in the field. Um, it's very aligned to exercise, but um, with, with food. Um, I don't know, this just gets under me, under my skin a little bit too. Well, I have a personal, um, interest in this now because I'm actually looking for a really good nutritionist for my mom. So I'm curious to hear what she has to say. Yeah. 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 So I, um, I picked this clip because, you know, she really gets into the, um, into the, the background, what it means to run a practice, an independent practice and have client defined, programs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she does do, you know, stool testing and can order, um, different types of blood work depending mm-hmm. on the state mm-hmm. and, um, how she works with that. And also like, as far as like her work with professional athletes, she's up there with like, um, how, how Kika operates. Like she mm-hmm. has been working with, um, NBA and NFL players on a personal level for, um, not as long as Kika, you know, but, uh, 
a a significant amount of insight there. And she, uh, she just shares it. You know, she just, it is what it is. What you see is what you get with her New New Yorker. And I love that. Um, (laughs) Oh, she's a New Yorker too. Yeah. Well, she's in Florida right now. um, Okay. But she is definitely a New Yorker. Okay. Do you find the same? Um, you know, that's hard for me to say because I do have, like, high school is not my main focus. So I do have like, you know, a handful of people over the years. So I'm just thinking back to them. And a lot of those times when somebody seeks my help, that means that parent has kind of already acknowledged that they need somebody, a professional's help, right? They want yeah. the best for their child and they've acknowledged it. Um, so they're more open-minded to hearing what the coaches have to say. But yeah, of course there's that embedded culture I mean I even see with my college football players the ones who come out I mean, you, they could come out of Alabama right they could come out of the most LSU where they spend eight million on their nutrition program and they know absolutely nothing when they come to me unless they've learned it from their parents growing up so it's mm. the people that have, have been brought up in an environment where they were taught about nutrition a little bit or their parents were aware of it or they had a cook those are the ones who know the most it's not about these huge college programs that are putting millions into their nutrition. Mm. So it definitely stays with them, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just thought that was a fun little clip because um, it's just, it's just, it's just really good food for thought. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. This is, um, this is scientific, but it's also everything else. It's so much nurture, you know? And Mm -hmm. um I just thought, I don't know. I just thought that was a nice clip because the other clips that I shared of this show um, is in female leadership and women who are researching nutrition and females, which is a huge problem across the board. Most studies in general are done on healthy men. Um, child, uh, the, you know, the, the lack of research for women in childbearing age is uh, ages, decades of our lives is um, pretty discouraging and upsetting. So we talk about that. Um, we talked about nootropics, like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, brain, brain, brain yeah. food um, and, you know, why she uses them. All right. I'll have to listen. Yeah. We talked about um, functional nutrition a lot and like what the difference between functional nutrition is and a traditional sports nutritionist, which is more into like macros right, and right. Uh, the details of competition. Right. And um, whereas, you know, she is helping grown, very strong men who are training at a high level, lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. Like it, <laughs> and like, yeah, which that's science. Um, I also think it speaks to a broader point, her comment about, you know, she's, for anyone that doesn't know, that Alabama and LSU are probably the two biggest college football, college football universities, you know, to the point where these kids are basically unpaid professionals. I mean, mm-hmm. they, like, they sell out 100,000 seat stadiums. They, you know, everyone, if you follow college football, it's it's like, you know, the, the Yankees of college football. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, these kids that are in these programs are not lacking, they're not getting paid, but they're not lacking for... Mm the what should be the best nutrition the best training and so to her point that like even though these kids are in these you know really billion dollar programs they don't know anything about nutrition mm-hmm. the broader point to me is also um i'm sure you get this too that every so often you know i'll have i'll be working with someone 
and they'll show me like, oh, you know, I just want to show you this clip of like these exercises of LeBron James and, or like, I just want to show you what Tom Brady's workout is, you know, because <laughs> there's this idea that the professional athletes, because of what they do and what they have access to and what they can afford, have the best of the best, the most cutting edge, absolutely most you know, button down scientific training programs. And, you know, that's why when men's health gives us a little glimpse into like what LeBron does for his abs, you know, people want to buy that stuff. But the truth is to your friend's point that even though these athletes may have access to this stuff, they're not always getting the best information. And to be really wary of mm -hmm. like, if you see that Tom Brady is doing X, Y, and Z for his fitness training program, first of all, he's an intelligent guy and he's obviously, you can't argue with his success, but it doesn't mean that the people he surrounds himself with, that uh, the training he's doing is superior in any way because there's, once you get to those levels, there's a lot of friends and cousins and you know people that are in the orbit of these people a lot of times end up serving as the role of like the trainers and so you know just to be you can certainly read that kind of stuff and think oh that's interesting and you should ask someone like myself or you like you know what our perspectives on it may be but to definitely I would be very wary of reading any taking any sort of professional athletes training program and completely assimilating that and assuming that what first of all works for them is going to work for you and be mm -hmm. what what they're doing is actually like there's an actual direct correlation between the training they're doing and their performance because a lot of times it's it can be very tenuous at best mm. yeah no that's definitely that's that's a great comment i love that um okay so yeah. So Jacqueline, thank you for always being yeah, so open book. I, love I will it. be in touch. Yeah, she's great. Um, so what, um, so last but not least is our episode from April 1st. All right. And, um, you know what, <laughs> um, I just think this one was special to me and I'm so glad it resonated with others. Was that like, I had enough information to like follow your, um, your content, you know, what, um, what the bullet points were, but I was, so I had enough information to like basically be in the flow of that conversation and learn at the same time. And like, so it's more, it's like you get a certain level of understanding of these complex subjects and detailed subjects that you can kind of participate in the conversation, but you're also like back on your heels, like, whoa, that's cool. And, um, it happens. I, I've had very specific instances where when I've been learning French, um, because as you know, my boyfriend is, uh, Moroccan mm -hmm. and, um, you know, he's him and his family, they each, they all speak like four to seven languages. And yeah. I'm frankly, just embarrassed by being American. <laughs> I know. So like, I really got to get on board with this French thing. Um, and the French angle too. Um, so, but like when I can like speak to him and like have a three, a, 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 um, you know, a three part conversation in French and he's not holding back from me, that is like, the most euphoric feeling. Mm -hmm. And so like, I kind of had that in this, 
conversation. I, I totally under, by the way, that's how I feel when I yeah. talk to other people. Like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying, I don't think my legacy on this earth is that I'm going to, you know, come up with the next uh, theory of relativity or something like that. But the yeah. fact that I just feel um, confident and um, coherent enough to to be able to talk to people like that in the human movement science world that are the ones that are creating these theories and be able to have a meaningful conversation, that's enough for me. And that's exactly how I feel, that it's just I can communicate with them. I actually know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's great. Yeah. All right. So here's a small clip. Um, this has to do with uh, strength, power, and endurance. Okay. Oh boy. If if <laughs> if I'm if I'm organized. Okay. So let's let's uh, be contingent on that. Yeah. Respective of the volume of games yeah. I have to play in a season, so like I have to figure out what is the best way of optimizing my resources, which is my strength and conditioning. Look at the skill I'm trying to acquire then, you know, spend my time focusing on acquiring that skill and then letting the brain figure out like how to use the resources I have to do this skill at a high level. So if I have enough strength, power and endurance, and now because I've trained for that and now I'm like learning the skill, my brain will figure out how to use that how to use the strength, power, endurance of whatever muscles it needs. So I thought that I like that clip a lot because um, it blend it like blends the the simplicity and the beauty of um, what motor learning and, and like the the intellectual dive into it can like can offer. You know, um, because it is. A complex subject but it's also like the big bullet point here is that m almost all personal training schemes are missing the factor of learning itself it, you know what i mean and like that that to me is like a, a simple and it's, it's just such applicable knowledge and i just i don't know i really admire it yeah so the interesting part of that clip to me is, and uh, what you just brought up is, so when this is in like a personal training or exercise environment, as opposed to like we were talking about before, like working with someone like Hope Solo, that obviously mm -hmm. the skill is being able to catch soccer kicks. So it's the question of is exercise the skill or is it just these movements that we're doing to to develop a certain substrate of whether it's strength or power endurance um and i think there's a little bit of wiggle room to argue it either way and the one end is someone that is like look i hate exercising i won't do it unless i have a personal trainer even then i want to watch tv listen to headphones i'll suffer through it only because i know that it does benefit me in some way. And that type of person is going to have a very hard time learning in mm. the sense we're talking about, which is acquiring skill. Now, in my experience, I've definitely worked with some of those clients, but they're, they're definitely the exception rather than the rule. And uh, I think most people actually 
want to learn, or at least they're amenable to learning. And I do feel like when I am in the gym, just casually observing people working with trainers is that we, as a group, putting myself uh, in that same group, we definitely more often than not stand in the way of learning by Mm -hmm. just drowning people in Mm -hmm. feedback and cues and stories about where we ate dinner. Like we're just, (laughs) and like, you know, you can't, if you're giving someone 40 different cues, they don't know exactly what they're trying to do. And then if someone doesn't know what they're trying to do, then it looks sort of weird to me. Then I'm like, well, your glute mead must be off because you're, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm sort of hyperbolizing here, but you, what we're talking about there in the context of learning and exercise is that, yeah, you, in order to, in order for someone to learn, they have to problem solve. In order to problem mm-hmm. solve, you've got to give them the bare minimum of cues to keep them safe and then let them figure it out. And when you let them figure it out and their body adapts to whatever the exercise you've put in front of them is, they get stronger, they get faster, they get more powerful, whatever it is, then you know, let their brain figure out how to use that. And if they're trying to use that for a certain skill, like Hope Solo being able to like kick a soccer ball, then you go ahead and work with her on the field on the specific skill training. But mm-hmm. in order to learning in the mode of exercise means allow it, just like it does outside of it, but particularly in the exercise environment, it means allowing people to actually perform the task and then, you know, let them problem solve. And obviously it's, if you're a trainer, it's your job to make sure that if they fail, they're not failing in a, in a way that would be, you know, potentially mm. really dangerous to them, but just getting out of their way and letting them do it. Yeah. I, that's, uh, that's what I mean. That's the beauty, the simplicity of it. Just, the, yeah. you know, kind of just lets me step back one. Um, and uh, I just, I, you know, I, I don't know. I appreciate it. It's just like sometimes the simplicity of having fresh flowers reminds me of luxury, you know, the simplicity of letting someone make a mistake and learn is the beauty of biology. You know, like I, I just see those, this, this is why I have this podcast. I see those connections and I just get, I, I get stoked. I'm <laughs> yeah, and also again, like I'm for everything that takes less pressure off me. So like, yes. you know, if, if I, if, if I'm watching someone exercise and, you know, if I can just say, all right, I've got a certain bandwidth that I'm comfortable like if they're operating within this bandwidth, I'm comfortable allowing them to move in this way and let them figure mm-hmm. it out as opposed to, and by the way, not that it would be helpful in any way, but if it actually mm-hmm. was my job mm-hmm. to look at millisecond by millisecond, every deviation of their joint, be like, Oh, no, wait, no. Okay. No, no, no. You got to come in a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Like <laughs> I, I could never do that. I would be exhausted and I wouldn't be helping them. So yep. like it allows me to do what I'm supposed to do, which is help someone acquire the skill. And I can just sort of, I set up the conditions. I have a bandwidth of error that I'll accept. And then I just step back and I let them do it. And mm. someone, someone might watch me train and be like, God, this dude's so lazy. Like he doesn't, he's not even talking. He's just watching. But honestly, that's what I should be doing to help this person acquire the skill. And then, you know, I give feedback as appropriate, but it actually makes my job easier 
Yeah. And it makes the end result better if I just approach it that way. Mm. Well, we have totally crushed this uh, (laughs) six episode highlight. Um, I I really thought this was this was really great for me because it's like it's just such a good time at the half year point and regardless. I love that idea. Yeah. Just to look back at what last six months were, even though they felt like three years, like it's, um, and honestly the podcast community has grown tremendously and, um, it, uh, that that's so humbling and it's so exciting. Um, number two on that, it's just, um, just wonderful. And like, that's why I just put in a, uh, specific Facebook and Instagram account just for think fit, be fit podcast. Um, I want to grow that into like hosting, um, some live, uh, feeds where we talk about the resources, um, that we use to, you know, uh, bring this information to people. Um, and that that's one way I want to use it. And then the other way is just to share the people that are coming on the podcast, um, potentially some co-hosts and, uh, <laughs> be able to, you know, just make it a, a live resource for people. Right. Um, because you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to improve your exercise just by listening to one podcast. You're going to improve your um, mindset, your process. And that means constant reminders. That means constant peeling back um, and adding to it, you know? So that's, that's the essence I want in the, in the social media. And like one thing you said that like really um, made my ears perk up um, was uh, about, you know, some podcasts, they just kind of fluff each other up Mm -hmm. and they're just like, you're cool. I'm cool. Like mm-hmm. rock on. Mm-hmm. And that is annoying. Um, yeah, I want, I, yeah. I want to take that out of the fitness podcast conversations in general. Um, so I'm doing my best to develop my listening and questioning skills to, you know, hold that kind of space for people that, you know, when you're coming on to think fit, be fit podcast as a listener, a guest, a whatever, um, a community member, you are engaging in conversation and not just a, I don't know, just like the vanilla fluff of fitness just has to go. And and that's what, that's what we're doing. That's what I love about this medium is that like, you know, the scientific process is meant to be iterative, meaning that like, you don't just do one study, then you're like, Oh, we, we found it. We solved it. Like, (laughs) put that one on ice. Like, no, it's, it's meant to be iterative that like you, someone does a study, they find this, they're the next group. And then we keep building on this stuff. And what I love about, um, what you're doing in podcasts, um, to the people that would do, would approach it the way you're doing it is that like you can record something and then you know, that recording is, you know, it is what it is, but then you can go back over time and be like, you know what, like, here's something I was talking about six months ago, but here's how I think about it now. Or like, I just love that we can take that sort of approach Mm -hmm. to this stuff. And, you know, again, I give you a lot of credit for being brave enough to do that sort of thing. 
but mm-hmm. I, I just love that idea of like, um, you know, even if something is recorded and w- because this format allows for like deeper dives into discussion and stuff, but, you know, again, all this stuff is like, we're constantly evolving and, and, you know, changing our perspective on things. So what I love about what you did today and what you're trying to do in general is that we can have conversations and then you can always go back and sort of reflect on how your mm-hmm. position on something may have changed. And I think that is honestly, it's truly, I think the best thing we could do for the planet mm. without, yeah. w- without being, you know, Ooh. too yeah. sanctimonious about it, but oh, just man. showing that like, instead of having to protect something you said at some point because you know it's going to cost you money or something just to be open and just to peel the curtain back and just show people that like it's actually uh it's actually something we all respect when someone you know shows how they how their thinking might have changed over time Mm, yes thank you so much for hanging out this long i have a special offer for you guys If you leave a review on iTunes uh, or Facebook, you can screenshot it and email it to schedule at impactyourfitness.net. And we will send you a free guide on hamstring freedom, aka mobility. And what I teach in this guide is why tight hamstrings don't respond to stretching, what weak hamstrings actually need to experience freedom of movement, and tests that can reveal the source of your hamstring issues. There's also a sneak preview to the Movement Pathways course and system and how it can help you. So again, screenshot your review and send it to schedule at impactyourfitness.net. And... Be sure to share this with your pals and your friends and your family so we can all access high-level fitness and high-level thinking about our fitness. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for supporting this show and the growth. It is a huge honor to help you think fit and be fit.